0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Keon. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. If you wanna learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center that we have, the books and there's lots of free resources there for you as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E. and listeners of The Art of Being Well. If you haven't heard the latest news, I have a brand new book coming out real soon. It's for for pre-order right now whenever I'm recording this. It comes out early 2023, but we're giving away tons of free healthy stuff at drwillcole.com When you pre-order, it's called Gut Feelings, How to Heal the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. So we're talking about both gut, and feelings, the the intersection between physiological and psychological, and how mental health isn't separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health. So a lot of the stuff that we we talk about on the podcast, it's a deep dive in gut feelings in the book. So we're talking about the research around shame and chronic stress and trauma and intergenerational trauma, that mental, emotional, spiritual stuff, and how it impacts our physical health, our gut brain axis our nervous system, our hormones, inflammation levels. And then conversely, we're talking about how underlying gut problems and things like SIBO and chronic infections like mold toxicity and inflammation levels, how that impacts our mood, how it impacts mood disorders and anxiety and depression and fatigue and how we feel about ourselves. So I'm so excited about this, as you can tell, but it's called Gut Feelings. Check it out at drwillcool.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, I have one more piece of news and we're giving away also signed books in one other way. If you head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there and tell us what you love about the show. And no matter when you listen to this episode, Every month, my team and I will be going through the Apple podcast reviews and randomly picking winners. I'll reach out to you personally and ask, hey, which book do you want? And I'll sign it for you and we'll send it out direct to wherever you're at in the world. So you can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple podcast review, or you can screenshot your Apple podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole, and I will be going through... The messages on Instagram and the Apple Podcast reviews with my team, and every month we'll be randomly picking winners. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. His name is Angelo Keeley. Angelo is the co founder and CEO of Keon, a supplement and functional food company dedicated to helping health and fitness enthusiasts live fun, active lives by providing clean, energy enhancing solutions. We all want that, right? All right, this is Angelo Keeley's Art of Being Well. Angelo, my friend, thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me here, man. I'm honored. Oh my gosh, I told you this, we've talked before and I'm such a fan of what you're doing. Well, before I knew you were gonna, but before I even had a podcast, I've been using Keon in my own life for years. It's, I'm like, I'm geeking out to talk to the man himself. Thanks, man. Well, again, I'm
1: I'm honored to be here and, and honored that you would like the products and take them and, and trust us to
0: begin with, so thanks. Absolutely. I'm excited to share the science with everybody and how it can elevate their lives around amino acids and all the things we're gonna learn from you today. I'd like to talk and start the conversation with something that I know a little bit about, but I'm excited to learn about it along with everybody else, about how you kind of explain the way you were raised in a religious way but around natural health can you explain that and like what your childhood was like and how did it maybe form how you see the world today yeah absolutely i've actually never quite framed it like that like in
1: a in like a religious way i feel like i ju- i just used that language with you and it's interesting <laughs> i think it's a good frame though you know because i think oftentimes parents who really Care about their lives and care about their children, try to provide structure and framework around belief and meaning and what's important. And religion is oftentimes one of the ways that people do that. In my family, it was health. It was really like, I'd say, like the core unifying factor. That didn't mean that we didn't have religious and spiritual beliefs, but it was like, it was the main thing. My dad had been in the botanical business and supplement business in the 70s, like pretty. Old school into it, and then they owned a natural health food store and a natural health food restaurant. And mm-hmm. like, I was born at home. We we're pretty crunchy hippies, like, I didn't have yeah, a birth certificate like until I crunchy. was seven. I never went to a, a doctor other than like a naturopathic doctor until I was like seven. Got my birth certificate when I went to first grade. <laughs> okay, so, all right, yeah, so yeah, I was raised Pr- in a context where we almost always tried to eat whole food. We tried to eat very minimal processed food. We did eat supplements, though, to support our diet. And we were pescatarian, although largely vegetarian during the week, and it was more like fish sometimes on the weekends, et cetera. And so my family was pretty plugged into protein nutrition based on that, and Mm -hmm. thus amino acid nutrition. and. You know what are the right amounts of nutrients, whether they're more traditional micronutrients or they're nutrients like amino acids that we need for our body. And we were talking about that as a kid, and I remember early on my mom giving me amino acids like three years old, and and maybe kind of like a religion. She was like, "Can you feel it, Angie? You know, should call me Angie." <laughs> you know, I was like, "Yeah, I feel it." You know, could you feel the fish oil? Could you feel the <laughs> amino acids? And those are ones that still I can feel. Like I can like feel if I took them or not. And yeah, so, I mean, I was just, I was kind of raised,
0: immersed in that. Wow. Fascinating. So let's jump to when you were 16 years old, something very pivotal happened in your life. I'd love to hear about it. What happened? Yeah, this was, you know, I think
1: like it is the case in many people's lives. Sometimes the most pivotal things are the most challenging and world upsetting and oftentimes filled with trauma. And that was, that was my experience Mm. when I'd say right around high school, I started to explore more with drugs and to explore with not paying attention to school. I'd always been like a really good student and my family though, they were entrepreneurs and they were an eccentric type. If you can think like how into natural health they were back then. And so I was exploring and doing all my own things and I wound up in a situation where I took way too much LSD. And I was really scared, and I provoked a fight. I've never been in a fight ever in my life. And it was with people that were much more hardcore than me, I guess you could say. And they stabbed me twice in the back, and they stabbed me in the knee, and it severed my patella tendon, and it barely nicked my spleen, but it required me to have, you know, emergency abdominal surgery. Mm-hmm. And they beat me pretty badly to where I was like totally black and blue. So I woke up in the hospital a few days later, and that was obviously very painful physically. It was, I mean, I think anyone who's, who's had a painful spiritual experience or a painful drug experience knows like alone, it's difficult when you combine that with that kind of severe physical trauma. It was, it was pretty, it was really powerful and it kickstarted for me, you know, I think it's one of the, it's one of those moments where you, cho- where I don't, it's hard to say like you choose, cause it's like, I don't know how I chose or to what degree it was cause I had the right support around me and resources and the environment I came from and The ideas i had already been exposed to but that's when my health journey became my health journey Mm. and not you know maybe the health faith of my parents it's when i started really researching nutrition and i really started researching what i should be eating how i should be moving the benefits of cold and heat the benefits of acupuncture the benefits of yoga and breath work and i went deep You know, I was was 16 and I just went really deep in that. You know, I think that really kicked off. I'm 38 now. So it's been kind of a 22-year journey of of healing from that experience and Mm -hmm. finding what really works for me and trying a lot of, I can't even tell you how many different things I tried over those years, the first few years to try to, you know, all the different kinds of fasts I probably tried for spiritual reasons and psychological reasons and physical reasons and different diets and, you know, reading Susie Fallon stuff back then, just like trying anything to like figure it out. And wow, yeah, you know, and so I, I'd say where I am today is in, in my health journey is both based off of what my parents created as a foundation for me. And it's also, you know, the journey that I've been on as a as a man since then. And I'd say that really kicked wow. off my
0: adult manhood that. <laughs> that yeah, absolutely. That 16 year old experience. I, there's a lot of parallels between your, like we're around the same age and, I grew up in a home that was very much more naturally minded as well, and then you get to the point like I didn't have that very traumatic, you know, situation as you. But you get to the point I think when your life where things happen in your life, you know, different things for different people. When you just own things for yourself, and it's your own path. I think that's really beautiful, and I'm curious to to think to get your opinions on. Psychedelics, when you look at the conversation that's happening around psychedelics and it being used in a clinical setting for people with anxiety, PTSD, different traumas, do you have a different opinion about it because of what you went through? I don't
1: know if I have a different opinion about it than because of what I went through, Mm. but I can share with you what my opinion is. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because it's hard. I feel like there's so much, you know, there's so much out there. I think. Specifically, its use case for supporting people coming out of trauma. I think it's really interesting. I have not, I haven't like read in depth all the work they've done at John Hopkins. For I know they're doing lots of, in, they've done lots of end of life work and the MDMA mm-hmm. treatments specifically with people suffering from PTSD coming out of war situations. I think it's all really intriguing. You know what I think is that certainly uh, drugs. And I do separate drugs from foods and maybe even isolated food-based ingredients like supplements because they really mm-hmm. distinctly alter consciousness in a way or, or significantly alter like the function of your body in, in a unique way that mm-hmm. I have had my own experience of them creating openings and changes that do lead to sustainable growth and improvement in life. Mm-hmm. I've also had experiences of taking Drugs and they could be a prescribed pharmaceutical drug. They could be a recreational drug of having the opposite effect and the opposite impact. (laughs) And so I think, I don't know, maybe that perspective is grounded in having, you know, something that's like so dark and so hard, but also having some really positive experiences. I think overall, you know, I'm hopeful that really smart people applying themselves to looking at it and studying it and checking it out that will find good use cases if they're there and mm-hmm. that if they're not there that we don't deceive ourselves and thinking that this drug treatment might work and really it's it's for some other purposes. I don't know what those other purposes might yeah. be, but I think you know there's always purposes of financial growth and purposes of the ego of humans and all these things. Mm-hmm. But I think overall yeah. I I trust people and trust humanity to keep working towards doing better work.
0: Yeah. Right, and I think the researchers around that space of using psychedelics in specific ways therapeutically under the guidance of a doctor that's trained in this, they always talk about set and setting, like mindset and settings. And I think like to your point, like you were 16 years old, you're not, you weren't necessarily using it in the way that they were, they're recommending and what the research is pointing to be beneficial for some people.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously it's really different if you have a trained psychotherapist or trained clinician using, you know hypothesized doses based off of previous experiments using either animals or in vitro studies in a controlled environment, very thoughtful. It's pretty different than, you know, a bunch of 16-year-olds squirting a vial into their mouth and just seeing what happens. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I would not (laughs) advise that. I would not advise that. (laughs) So uh, you have such a colorful life. Like I'm thinking about, you definitely need to write a book because you also spent time in the Himalayas and in ashram learning advanced yoga. And you, in many ways, you were a biohacker before biohacking was a thing. You mentioned being a young kid and learning this. What was that like? I mean, time in an ashram learning advanced yoga.
1: Well, like I said, when I was 16, that really kicked off kind of my own personal practices and got me interested in things like yoga. So I started studying it then. And then actually when I went to college, I decided to study religious studies. Specifically, like historical, the historical context of religious of religions and where they came from and how they developed. And naturally, India is a very intriguing place with a lot of religions. And yoga is a really intriguing philosophical system as well as a you know a physical practice. Mm-hmm. And after a lot of practice at home, I was like, I want you know I want to go to India, you know. And after studying a bunch back at home, and so yeah, I actually spent a, I spent time volunteering at an orphanage. For quite some time in, in the south of india and then in northern india i spent time doing advanced yoga study at, at an ashram and it was you know i think one of the greatest lessons i learned from that and it relates actually to probably all of my study of religion is that context is is pretty important and that maybe what one set of beliefs and ideas and practices mean in one culture at one time have a different meaning and kind of in result an impact on you and society if they're in a different context. So like what yoga means, I live in Boulder, you know, if I go down to the yoga studio here and do yoga, it's, you know, it's, you know, with my, I don't know, my 26-year-old yoga teacher, it's different than like the 75-year-old dude that's like never left his little tiny village and kind of speaks English and what yoga means to him is very different. And I think it, yeah, it probably encouraged me that much more to really reach into myself and try to understand myself and what it means to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. You mentioned when you were young and your mom would give you those essential amino acids and she'd say, can you feel it? Can you feel it? And maybe let's pivot here to essential amino acids and can we define that? I mean, people hear the term before, they learn about it at school, they have a vague idea, maybe people know more than others, but what, let's start with what, is, what are amino acids and then specifically what are essential amino acids?
1: Absolutely. I'll just start too with giving a kind of a basic foundation to make sure everyone's on the same page. Apologies to anyone that I'm insulting if any of this is obvious or fresh for them. But in nature, in life, Basically, the building blocks of life are proteins. Proteins contain not only this carbon structure, but they include this nitrogen. And they're the things that, that basically help you know, create and manifest everything that's living. And every single protein is made up by a chain of amino acids. So basically, amino acids are the building blocks that build up proteins. So when we talk about protein that is in, a, in any type of living organism, and that could be a plant or it could be an animal, or we talk about protein as a food source, or we talk about the proteins in our body, you know, when we talk about DNA and we talk about muscle, we're talking about the same kind of core structure. Mm-hmm. So in our bodies, essential amino acids are the amino acids that make up proteins that our body cannot synthesize. There are other amino acids that if we eat these certain essential amino acids, our bodies can synthesize and make them. So the fact that they're essential is not true for all species, for all creatures, for all um, plants, for example, that can synthesize some of the amino acids that we can't synthesize. And thus, I'd say the big picture importance around essential amino acids is I've just that point. Our body can't synthesize them. So you have mm-hmm. to eat them. You, you must consume them. Now in the context of diet, there mm-hmm. are you know, many micronutrients, but there's three main macronutrients, carbohydrates, fat, and protein. And the primary purpose of, there are other there's a purpose of fats, but the primary purpose of carbohydrates and fats are to give us energy. They are actually, mm-hmm. They're actually, the carbohydrates are the most directly converted into ATP to give us energy and fats can also be converted into ATP. Proteins, which are these strings of amino acids, same thing. They can also be converted into energy, ATP, but it's it's less efficient and it's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of us consuming protein is to help us rebuild the proteins in our body. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we have to rebuild the proteins in our body is because one of the characteristics of proteins in us is that they're constantly in a state of being broken down and then resynthesizing. And when you break down the proteins, your proteins your body are breaking down, some of them cannot be reused. And so they get excreted. Through urea. In that case, you need to be eating enough additional proteins to make up for that loss of those amino acids so you can resynthesize new ones. So you can have a healthy heart, healthy lungs, healthy skin, healthy muscle, healthy eyes, so that all of these enzymes that we talk about that are fundamentally proteins can be in your body. You must consume uh, amino acids in the form of proteins to do that. And thus, if you're consuming proteins that don't have the essential amino acids, or you're consuming not enough of those essential amino acids, your body's not gonna be able to you know, fulfill its core functions. And mm-hmm. on the primary level, that is important because of what I just said, your body can't synthesize the essential amino acids. But what so often is, I think, not fully understood, because it actually is more recent science, it's about only the last 20 years that we've discovered this through multiple studies, is that essential amino acids are the amino acids that start and fulfill muscle protein synthesis. So the non-essential amino acids, even if I consume what's considered the most quality complete protein, most digestible and most complete protein for essential amino acids, a whey protein concentrate or egg whites, only about half of them is essential amino acids and the other half is non-essential. And only the essential amino acids are the ones that are actually necessary and fulfill the role of stimulating and completing muscle protein synthesis. So really the amount of essential amino acids that you get in your diet are more, in, in a complete profile are more, much more important than just the idea of the amount of protein you get in your diet. So I know I said a lot, but hopefully that I strung together enough ideas that like it, it yeah. got like the big idea of why this is such a important topic for nutrition.
0: It absolutely is. And I think that, you know, people talk about protein and getting enough protein. And, you know, when you talk about maybe the ketogenic diet, you're talking about fats. Everyone's talking about carbs and has different have different opinions about that. You know, and there are essential amino acids. Like as you said, the body needs to get it from food. That's just like there's essential fatty acids. You need to get it from foods. So how much? Well, let me say it this way that not to repeat what you're saying, not all protein is created equally. It is not enough to say, this is the amount of grams of protein that I'm getting in the day, because the context of what type of protein and the amount of the essential amino acids matters. So how much should we be getting in a day when it comes to essential amino acids? And then maybe how often do we need to get every meal or what's the proper spacing throughout the day? Great question, and I appreciate the nuance between
1: is it not just how much protein, but the quality of protein, and thus if I'm, we're defining quality of protein by amount of essential amino acids, you know, how how do you think about all that? And I I think we're going to have to go through a couple layers of it to just be nuanced enough, and since we have the time, we might as well, and I believe your audience cares about this. They do. Yeah. So the quality of protein is determined first by how easily your body can digest it. Meaning when you eat the protein, can your body break down the protein into its the composite amino acids? That's the number one step. And some are easier for you to t- digest than others, and thus the amino acids are more available. And there's a whole scoring system, you know, mi- decades that they've spent on that, analyzing you know, which proteins are more digestible. Those do happen to be animal proteins like eggs are like at the very top, milk proteins are at the very top. Now necessarily, this doesn't mean that there aren't other things, like you could have an egg allergy or you could have some type of dairy allergy. But if you talk about the actual digestibility of the protein source, it's, it's the most digestible of being able to be broken down into its component amino acids. Plants tend to be less. That doesn't mean that you can't be really healthy and eat all the essential amino acids you need on a plant-based diet. We'll get to that, but that's kind of a basic frame. Then after that, once you have digested the proteins and you've broken them apart into the the composite amino acids, what amino acids are present in what amounts? Mm -hmm. And it is the case that certain amino acids, obviously the essential amino acids, are more important for your body for stimulating and completing muscle protein synthesis and because they then can be converted into these other non-essential amino acids if necessary by the liver. But in many cases, If you're eating a well-balanced diet and through the breakdown of your existing muscle, Tissue, which is which is happening all the time, you're getting free-form non-essential amino acids that are available to you to rebuild into muscle. So it's it's really about getting the best quality and the most amount of the essential amino acids. So in that case, then after you rank how well they are on you know digestibility, it's like what's what's their profile. Again, it does happen to be the case that animal-based proteins have Mm. more of the essential amino acids and also have them in profiles that are more helpful. So specifically, leucine isoleucine, valine, and lysine should be higher, quite a bit higher than the other ones without going into all the details of it. Leucine at the highest and then the isoleucine, valine, and lysine about half that amount to optimally be used by the body to build new muscle, and we'll go into later, maybe about why muscle's so important, because muscle is not just about getting strong, it's mm-hmm. the reservoir of amino acids for the rest of your body and all of your organs. So anytime you need them, that's what's gonna get tapped to support the rest of your body. So again, it's about, you know, that's what's most helpful. So if you're eating without any supplements, and you're eating whole food proteins, ideally, well, at a minimum, you need to be consuming 0. 0.4 grams of protein per pound of body weight. And when I say minimum, that's, that's, truly the, that's like the minimum. And that means you're not very active. And it means that you're not trying to be really vibrant. It means like you're trying to not go into a crisis health mode. Got it. At more optimal levels, if you are, say, between the ages of 20 and 40, roughly, that, that age group, and you like to be active, I would aim for a gram of high-quality protein. So, And we can, we can modify this if we're talking about other types of protein. Let's say a gram of high-quality, highly digestible, high-quality amino acid profile protein like egg whites and whey protein concentrate, et cetera. You want to eat about a gram of protein per pound of body weight. If okay. you are more active than that, like if you're highly active, like you're an ultra runner or something, or you're a really intense weight trainer or you do CrossFit, I would increase that even more because your needs for amino acids and for protein are going to increase even more. Now, as you age, your ability to digest protein and the sensitivity of your body to have muscle protein synthesis be stimulated decreases significantly, and that's what leads to sarcopenia which is basically the the loss of muscle mass as you age. In that case, you need to increase your protein intake per pound of body weight even more. The problem with that is that as you have more difficulty digesting protein, you're like just eating a lot. You're going to be eating a lot of protein. And this is where supplementation can play that much more of a role. I think if you're in a situation where you like fasting, so you're you're not consuming any calories or protein during that period, you are very athletic or active or... You're over 40, and as you age, it gets that much more. You have a greater need for the essential amino acids that are within the protein, and it's that much more difficult to get it from the protein. So now, Mm -hmm. if you jump to essential amino acids, they contribute to muscle protein synthesis at three times the rate of a quality high food protein. So if Mm -hmm. I take five, if I take five grams of a well-formulated essential amino acid, it's not any formulation, but basically what I described earlier it will stimulate muscle protein synthesis at three times the rate of a whole food protein. Now, this initially will make some sense because as I said, egg whites are only half essential amino acids. The other half is non-essential. So you can think right off the bat, it's going to stimulate twice the amount because literally the active component that's doing all the new muscle protein synthesis, there's as much in half the amount of egg white as an egg as there is in just a pure essential amino acid complex. But on top of that, the fact that you do not have to diet digest the free-form amino acids to the degree that you have to digest the protein, it more immediately and more significantly stimulates muscle protein synthesis to that much higher rate of 3x. Now, when you compare that for older populations, like let's say you're 50 and above, and as you get older, it gets more and more serious, your ability to digest that protein, that egg, or that whey is, is worse. And thus it starts to become four, 5x. So the free form amino acids as a supplement are that much more important as mm. you age because your, body to dig- your ability to digest the proteins becomes more limited. It's not that the yeah. essential amino acids become more effective, it's that your body's not a, as good at digesting
0: the whole food protein. Right. So the bioavailability is quite important there. Got it. So. You mentioned eggs, you mentioned whey, like throughout the day, whole foods, what foods are the best? Like just maybe name a few that people should be like, all right, I need to be shooting to have those in, assuming that they're omnivore. Like what are those What are those foods they should be bringing into their day? So I'm gonna answer that question and
1: also realize, I, I didn't answer the last question about how often should you be eating these things? And I'll pair them oh, yeah. to, together. tie it in together, yeah. yeah. So the other way that muscle protein synthesis works in the body is that you basically, it, it lasts for three hours. So if I consume a high quality protein at like kind of a minimal amount, it will start the process of new muscle protein synthesis, and it will ensure that I'm not losing muscle or a net muscle protein breakdown over that period. And it lasts about three hours. So eating okay. any more often, eating protein or a diet or a dietary amino acid supplement every, any more than every three hours is not going to provide significant benefits. Instead, it's l- more of it, not all of it, but more of it is going to be get converted to glucose. So, to really utilize protein, you should eat, you know, about every 3 hours or if you like to fast, you can, you know, drink an amino acid supplement or take capsules of an amino acid supplement and ensure that you're still in net pro- you're in a net protein positive position, but not be, you know, breaking your fast. So what are good things to eat during the day? I think that again, eggs, whey protein, whey protein isolate, if you are given kind of like lactose intolerance, the isolate has virtually no lactose in it. On top of that, I think quality meats. I mean, I go again, I was I was raised in a very natural family and I've become a meat eater, but it's like, you know, grass-fed meats, free-range chicken. I think if you are interested in minimizing your total caloric intake, then things like chicken and fish naturally have less fat in them than things like red meat do. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, red meat has all kinds of other minerals and micronutrients that are, are really motivating to some people. But yeah, I think yogurts are a great source if those are supportive of your body. And then there are different combinations of whole grains and legumes that if your body tolerates them well, are great. I mean, I think lentils, quinoa, buckwheat, different forms of black beans and brown beans, all of these are quality sources of protein and amino acids when combined. They do need to be combined in order mm-hmm. to get the most out of them because they're just deficient in the other essential amino acids. And if you eat them on their own, they will not stimulate muscle protein synthesis to that degree. And the other point to make is that they're, they're much more caloric. So the amount of protein and amino acids you get out of the same weight of beans versus chicken, is, mm-hmm. you, you get, you, there's, there's a lot more calories for the amount of protein in plant-based foods than there are in meat products and yeah. animal products. That said, if you're like a long distance runner, you could probably be plant-based because yeah, you're just right. going to eat tons of lentils and rice. You yeah. can, you know, you can eat 6,000 calories a day. I think right. it's going to be that much harder. The less active you are, I think it's the less active you are, the harder it is to be on a plant-based diet and eat, yeah. eat enough.
0: Yeah. yeah. So every and three, then, every three hours. Got it. Yeah. And then on top of that, that when I'm, I'm dealing with the population, but as far as my patients are concerned, a lot of them have the digestive problems and the autoimmunity and they tend to, if you de- depend on copious amounts of those plant proteins. They don't agree with everybody. So it's also the inflammatory gut component for some people as well. So that was actually my next question is about protein combining. And you mentioned you really need ample amounts of these essential amino acids to get the proper muscle synthesis. So is it, if someone is more plant-based or exclusively plant-based, how close together do they have to have these different food, plant-based foods that have, some has some amino acids, some has others. What's, what, how can we optimize that? That's a good question. I think optimize is the right question
1: and point. Cause I think so often you have kind of like the animal protein versus the plant protein people like yelling at each other. And it's like, you don't yeah. have to consume them all at once. You have a free form amino acid pool ball, all this stuff. And it's, I think it's really about optimal. So optimally you would consume the essential amino acids that you need and the proper, do- and proper amounts to each other at the same time got it and it is the case that if you don't eat them at the same time you can store some of those amino acids in your amino acid pool within the body but it's definitely not optimal it's not an optimal situation to choose you're minimizing the you're minimizing the uh the positive impact of consuming those amino acids that, could, that you could induce if you just consume them at the same time. And one yeah. other important point on that too, in terms of like how often you eat them, ideally mm-hmm. you would take whatever, let's just say you're 150 pounds and you need to eat, or I'm advising you to eat one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day. That'd be 150 grams of protein per day. Depending on how many times you want to consume that throughout the day, six is a lot and people who like to fast, it's that much harder, but like six is a lot. That means basically, you know, that's 18 hours, right? Let's say you choose five, though, and it's, it's 15 hours. In that case, you know, you basically want to divide that daily, those daily protein needs by five. So have 530-gram doses of protein. Got and it. if you like to fast or you have more digestive issues and you're, you don't want to be like trying to be digesting things all the time, one way of achieving this, and this is, again, I'd say at a, in a context in which you're way above that minimum 0. 0.4 grams of protein per pound of body weight, you can, say, consume 90 grams of that from, from whole food protein, and the last 60 grams, if you took two 10-gram doses of essential amino acids you would get the equivalent of that last 60 grams of protein in terms of muscle protein synthesis. So you wouldn't actually have to be eating all the way up to the 150 grams of protein. You could be eating about 90 grams of protein and another 20 grams of essential amino acids and be getting the equivalent of that. And that way you're also maybe not eating all the time and constantly digesting things or supporting you know, fasting
0: if that's important to you. Got it. Great tips, I thank you so much. What comes to mind now is the person that's listening to this for them is tracking. Do you feel like for a time tracking and a food tracking app would be beneficial just to get a ballpark of how people can learn how they're fueling themselves? Cause they don't really have an idea when they have this food, that's how much meso- essential amino acids. Do you find that to be helpful for the average layperson? I think it is helpful. And I think it's helpful for the specific reason that you said, for education.
1: Yeah. If you really, I I think many people are like me in that if someone like tells me something or I read something in a book, I kind of get it. But when I actually like try it out and try to work through it and experience in my life, it's like project-based learning for kids, you know? (laughs) When you actually take the experience of measuring the rice or measuring the beans and measuring the chicken and seeing how much it weighs and noticing the difference of like, oh, wow, the difference of weight in chicken between cooked and uncooked. Well, that's sick. That's a 30% difference. That's like, oh my, I didn't even know that. And then you look at the impact on that calorically and what the, you know, what the protein and carbohydrate and fat content of these things are. I think it helps people to just understand and see what is they're consuming. Then Mm -hmm. from there, I think that for people who are in the process, and it all depends on kind of, I think, maybe how intuitive you are with your eating and how much other psychological barriers you have with your eating, like how much, trained overeating, like I I have some trained overeating at night, I think is like a comfort thing. You know, like I just, mm-hmm. I still want to kind of get a, like full at dinner. And it's like, why do I want to get full at dinner? It doesn't help me sleep, it's not good, you know? And so for people who maybe have that kind of experience where you're eating emotionally, you're eating for some other reason, it can help with a little bit of, a, with some accountability around like, yeah. oh, this is what's happening. And it doesn't mean even that I'm staying within the limits of what I was supposed to be doing. I just see like, wow, I that is a lot more than what the basic nutrition science says a person my size needs to eat at dinner to -hmm. to feel okay right like that you know maybe I didn't need that it also I think provides context for for sweets if you try to eat them for Mm -hmm. alcohol for any indulgences you know in terms of like oh wow that's how that's impacting me and then I think longer term I think if people internalize their own understanding of what macronutrient-wise, micronutrient-wise, and calorically is within the foods that they eat, and they continue to work on their own psychological drives, hopefully you don't need to be like tracking. You can just make decisions that feel good to you and that support
0: you and that help you be happy. And yeah. That's exactly how I recommend typically for patients who I know could handle it if it's not going to be a source of Triggering or obsession or orthorexia, I feel like a healthy way to use those food tracking apps to look at macros and micros and EA's, you know, essential amino acids, is a mindfulness tool. It's an awareness educational tool, and then drop it after you've learned what's your typical go-to's. You'll just intuitively know, you know, what how you feel when you do such and such, and you have a background awareness on what these foods mean as far as fuel. So I definitely agree with you wholeheartedly. Maybe there's phases too.
1: I was going to say like sometimes, man, I need to like go to a class or I need a personal trainer just to like motivate me to work out. And other times like I'm on my groove. Like I don't don't need anyone. I've got my routine. I wake up in the morning. I'm doing my training. And I think it's similar to that. Like if you start finding yourself like, whoa, I'm like, I'm not being as conscious about what I really want yeah. in my life and I'm making these decisions that aren't directly aligned. Maybe that's a time again to like create check a little in. bit of accountability and see like, what am I doing? What is happening? But I also, I would caution too, yeah, for people that have the risk of overanalyzing and
0: over critiquing themselves, there are risks with. Yeah. You know, yeah, stressing about these things isn't good for your health no, either. Sometimes no. it is, like you said, seasons, keeping it simple can be a season. Yeah, <laughs> And just be checking with your body and how you feel when you're doing these things. So you mentioned some of the benefits of, you know, this. these are the building blocks of us, our body. I'd love to touch on the connection between essential amino acids and our metabolism. Maybe the person out there that has a sluggish metabolism and they think, they think it's just them. <laughs> it's, they were born with this, <laughs> this sluggish metabolism. If so, but metabolic health and number two, longevity and health span. I'd love if you've made the connection between those and essential amino acids. Absolutely. So
1: like many things in the body, they're complicated and they involve different systems and different inputs and outputs. So this is not the end-all be-all to everything about you know, metabolism and everything about longevity. That said, it is the case that the more lean muscle that you have the higher your resting metabolic rate is. So just like, just standing here, just sitting here, actually, it's actually truly lying in bed. I think it totally motionless is how they measure your your basal metabolic rate. So when you're not moving at all, just how many calories do you burn? And if you consume that many calories per day, then you're you're even, basically. If you Mm -hmm. consume more calories than that per day, this is very basic, then you will start to gain weight. If you consume less, you'll start to lose weight. Now, nat- naturally, different macronutrients have different impacts on you. There's, there's many different you know, components in this, but on one level, that is, that is true. So if I increase the amount of muscle mass that I have in my body, or I simply take 10 pounds of fat that I have right now, and I convert that 10 pounds of fat into 10 pounds of muscle, my my resting metabolic rate increases and I burn more calories every day. So when you build a more toned body, you naturally have a higher metabolism. On top of that, when you exercise, because your muscles require more energy to move because you have more of them, you also Mm -hmm. increase more. So the impact of exercising becomes greater in addition Mm -hmm. to that. So if you If you build more muscle or you convert fat in your body to muscle you will have a higher metabolism and it'll be easier to eat all the foods you like and and more easily I think find find balance with diet now the component I said earlier about like what's you know maybe there's different impacts of different macronutrients well the case is that when you eat protein And also when you eat amino acids, amino acids actually even, free-form amino acids even more than protein, they stimulate something called diet-induced thermogenesis. And what's going on is that when you consume these amino acids, whether in protein or free-form, they stimulate this muscle protein synthesis. And as you can imagine, that process takes energy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so as that process takes energy, it makes you burn more energy and thus makes you burn more calories. So anytime, if you consume, a gram of protein versus a gram of sugar or carbs or a gram of fat, you will burn more of those calories in simply consuming the protein than in consuming the fat or the carbs. The fat and the carbs are basically equal. The protein is about three times the rate of the metabolic impact. And thus, when you consider consuming essential amino acids, they also have that three times the impact. But on top of that, they're only half of the quantity of the protein that you're consuming. So it's a pretty significant impact on your overall metabolic health. So overall, consuming amino acids, free form, or consuming protein stimulates your metabolism. And on top of that, it helps you build more lean muscle and maintain lean muscle that improves your metabolism. So then how does that play out into like, you know, longevity and and long-term life in a few ways? Number one is muscle plays a big role in regulating your glucose. So as you Mm -hmm. age and you're trying to regulate your glucose, having healthy and more muscle supports that process and directly supports actually your ability to digest foods and to maintain healthier insulin levels. Mm -hmm. On top of that, if you have a healthy lean muscle and anyone who knows someone who's, you know, in the process of like say getting over 70 and, you know, things that they used to try to do becomes, become harder. And they become harder for many reasons, they become harder because of you know joints and ligaments, et cetera. But they also become harder because naturally there's a process of losing muscle. The more muscle you have, the easier it is to stay active and to do things. And also you have a much greater reduced chance of injury. And I mean, how many people do we know that like fall and break their hip and then their, their health goes right down, which is the right. segue to the next piece. When you go through some type of chronic illness, surgery, or other kind of physical stress. Your body goes into a stress response that is inherently catabolic and anabolically resistant. Meaning that you have a much, you start losing muscle and you have a much harder time. Your body is not as receptive to stimulating new muscle growth. So Mm -hmm. basically investing in your body having muscle in later stages of life will ensure that when, you in, when we will all likely encounter some type of disease or injury or something, we will be that much stronger and resilient against it. Like the cases for a recovery in response to, like even just the treatment related to uh, cancer, it's like 30% improved based off of having higher muscle mass, which is kind of obvious because you know, if you go through all these treatments, like you can't move and you're really tired and you're not able to build new muscle and mm-hmm like I alluded to earlier, your muscle is the reservoir and the storage of amino acids for the rest of your body. Because as you can imagine, if I stop eating protein or my body goes through some kind of stress response and my heart needs to rebuild its proteins, my heart just can't like shrink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's got to stay in its current state and keep supporting itself. What source of proteins in my body can sacrifice itself? And our Mm -hmm. muscle tissue, our human skeletal muscle tissue, that is actually its primary Mm. role is it stores those amino acids for us so that when we go through stressful periods, the rest of our organs and our other proteins in our body can basically live off of them.
0: Got it, wow, this is fascinating. So you've made the case for obviously whole foods to make sure you're getting essential amino acids throughout the day, but you also mentioned, especially as we age, but just even removing aging from the equation, we'd have to, all of us, we're living busy lives, to be constantly consuming enough foods that have the proper essential amino acids, it takes a lot of thoughtfulness. So you kind of take the guesswork out of it and help us with providing something super convenient with essential amino acid supplementation. So can you talk about that and how much we should be bringing in the day? What what should the average person be supplementing with when it comes to essential amino acids? I think the context you set is perfect.
1: And that is, it's going to, it's going to, be different based off different people's situations. Whether you're older, or younger, but many of us are busy, and most people probably listening to a podcast are participating in the modern world, right? Yeah. <laughs> and ha- you have a job. Maybe you have a family. You have all these responsibilities, and you know, taking care of yourself um, and giving yourself, giving your body what it really needs, can sometimes be a challenge with all those different constraints. So overall, what I would say is that if you can, try to consume the equivalent amount of essential amino acids or protein five times throughout the day that I mentioned earlier. Take whatever your body weight is and divide that by five and say, I'm either going to eat protein at that time of day, you know, when I wake up, I'm going to, and right when you wake up, you know, I'm going to eat that, or I'm going to take some essential amino acids that are one third that amount of protein. And if you do that, You're gonna be you're gonna be covering the bases. You're gonna be doing great, and I think that for many people, and again, people who maybe like to fast or they don't want to eat more than three meals a day, it becomes a really easy solution to add these servings of essential amino acids in those spots of the day, through those meals. Yeah, or in between those meals. Okay, it's it's in between those meal periods. And again, I think going back to the plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. I think you know it becomes even more important for folks like that that are they are having a harder time kind of getting in all their protein. And in that case, you can absolutely take an essential amino acid supplement when you eat food. It doesn't Mm -hmm. dilute the impact of it. It's simply if I'm you know if I'm eating thirty to forty grams of chicken, a protein from chicken, taking more essential amino acids at the same time is not going to add the same kind of benefit. But if at lunch I'm just having a salad. And there's no real protein in it mm-hmm. taking essential amino acids at that period yeah. is a great thing to do and then i Got think it. the other major the, the two other major cases for it are exercise so if you want to get the most out of your exercise taking essential amino acids and, and, the, and I, I don't want to like over you know Make people feel like they have to be taking these things all the time, you know, because obviously like food costs money, supplements cost money, you have to choose where and how to use it. But taking essential amino acids, one serving, up to even three servings before you exercise will significantly increase muscle protein synthesis, give you energy for the workout, and it will reduce muscle fatigue and help reduce muscle protein breakdown and the soreness, et cetera, that comes from exercise. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true for taking it afterwards. So if you, you know, if, if you can take, you can take some aminos before, you can take some aminos after, you can only do, you know, one. What I would say is, you know, what works best for you? Like whatever's going to work best f- for your style. Like if, if you really feel like it's kind of hard to work out and getting, and also it's, it can be kind of a delicious treat, you know, just have like a scoop of like yummy lime or watermelon or mango or berry aminos before you drink that it gives you a boost of natural energy without any caffeine just the energy naturally of amino acids powering your you know your muscles and your cells and gets you through the workout it's going to really support muscle protein synthesis and you know prevent breakdown whereas on the other hand it's like you like drinking something afterwards And it's kind of like your treat or your reward. Like that's also great. Rather than trying to get in all the, there is very specific science of what happens if you drink it before, what happens if you drink it during, what happens if you drink it after there's benefits to all of them.
0: Right. Just to, yeah, be consistent and find out, like you said, find out what you enjoy and what you, how you feel best. Check in again, intuitively with your body. You mentioned fasting throughout this conversation. I'm curious to know, when do you exactly recommend it? Do you is it, imp- is it throwing somebody, or is it impacting their fast negatively? And my mind goes to mTOR. And like, do, do, does supplementing with essential amino acids during the fast impact mTOR, which is the longevity pathway of fasting for people that are wondering, or is it so negligible? It's not, any any research around that? Yeah, there is research around this. And I think this is maybe probably like the most
1: hotly debated and the most interesting. Yeah. And I think it's it's really kind of fundamentally about what we wanna invest in and what we think is most important. And that's gonna be based off what we th- where we think the best research is and you know, kind of how you, how you perceive mm-hmm. all of the research out there. As I look at it, the core arguments behind trying not to stimulate mTOR are really about not introducing this stress on the system, right? Mm-hmm. the stress that leads to growth. Naturally, when you exercise, you, you induce significant cellular stress. So in that same argument, like, exercise is bad for you. Yeah, okay. right. And, <laughs> like, just straight, out, like, it's, if we just talk about the way the pathways work, like, it's, you know, it, it's bad for you because it induces all the stress. Also, anytime you eat protein, in amino acids, fundamentally, what they do is they stimulate mTOR. That is what they do. I can't really get around it in this conversation. Yeah. Like that's what that's they how do. how they work. Yeah, they stimulate <laughs> mTOR. They stimulate the this, this, this synthesis of new proteins to be developed and grown. So now there's kind of two main threads we can follow from here. One is, well, how much benefit does exercise create long-term in life? And how much do amino acids and protein long-term create in life? And as far as I look at all of the research that's available, not necessarily the hottest, coolest new set of research or one study or a couple authors, it shows that having significant lean muscle as you age has incredible impacts that outperform any impacts of any other thing I could kind of invest into my life for cardiovascular and metabolic health, for remaining active, for being able to recovery from serious energy injury and chronic illness, et cetera. It's like muscle's worth it. So while Mm -hmm. yes, exercise induces stress on my body and stress on my cells and consuming protein and amino acids induces some of this stress, that muscle is worth it. At the mm-hmm. same time, there's a whole another body of literature, and, and this might be something if your audience is interested and in, I can follow up with you with a series of articles around it, that actually show that the ingestion of essential amino acids, you do need all the essential amino acids, that actually the branch chain amino acids that are three of the core ones, that the ones that stimulate mTOR, are directly responsible for stimulating mitochondrial biogenesis and improved Mm. mitochondrial function to a degree that is equal or better than fasting or caloric restriction, Hmm. And that, particularly in older age folks who are dealing with sarcopenia, well, oh, I don't even—it's not even older age. I mean, people, middle age people, people right. forty and older who start experiencing, you know, sarcopenia, that for them it's much easier to use an amino acid supplement than it is to, you know do kind of consistent caloric restriction, whether via fasting or some other form. And there, it's, there's pretty good research and literature, both on a, on a mechanistic, it's, it's primarily on a mechanistic and mm-hmm. animal study level, but that's the same thing
0: with these other, you know, human studies around kind of avoiding. Yeah. tour I love it. And that's how I feel like if it makes someone's, they're still getting so much good benefits from the fast and the essential amino acids, that I feel like we're sometimes we're overthinking it and it just, of look at your goals, where do you how do you feel best? And obviously for tracking labs, you can look at that too if it's appropriate. But I feel like if oftentimes it can make someone's fast easier if they're having the essential amino acids. Or if you really are wanting to wait until your fast breaks, depending on how tight your eating window is, just have it towards the end of your fast. Wouldn't you say that's a nice compromise, maybe? I, I think definitely I mean I mean it's tough on the compromise level because I do think that
1: the ingestion of the amino acids is for me, it's a more important decision. But I think the goal piece you, you made is really important. There are many reasons why people fast, some of them conscious, some unconscious. I think <laughs> primary reason, and I have been at fault for this for many health things in my life. I don't know exactly why, but all these smart health people tell me I'm supposed to be doing it. So I start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that is one reason. But I think, and that is plenty of reason why I've even talked to friends who have asked me the same question. Be like, I don't even really know, but like, You're supposed to do it. Like, I don't know, is 12 hours or 16 hours or 24 hours better? But I think other main issues are also basically being able to give your digestive system a break. I think that's it for a lot of people. A lot of people are like, man, I just, I like how I feel. I like that I'm not digesting food again. Another third thing is focus. I think people feel like, hey, when I don't get distracted by the food in the morning and all these things, and I actually feel like I'm kind of like, particularly people who are more fat adapted and have a keto Mm -hmm. mentality, it's like their brain feels like they're just, like they're moving and like they feel better in that way. And then I think another aspect is also for, being able to contain daily caloric consumption. It's like personally for me, if I eat first thing in the morning, it kind of kickstarts me wanting to just eat again <laughs> and eat more. Mm-hmm. And if I can, you know, if I can push it off a little bit longer, then I can contain my meals a little bit more throughout the day. So in that context if those are the primary reasons why you're doing it, if your primary reason is like, you are a deep researcher on cell autophagy and you're going all in on that, then I assume that this whole conversation around like exercise and many of these other things that that would be really motivating for so many other reasons to have vibrant health are, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a radical path, I would say, Mm -hmm. that path. But if it's these other things, then what I would say is anytime you go more than three hours without consuming amino acids exogenously, you go into net muscle protein loss. Right. And so thus, you're, like, the, the maintenance of the amino acids in your blood cannot be maintained, so you start breaking down muscle to maintain them. And that mm-hmm. induces a certain stress on your body. And it also induces, I think this is one thing that doesn't get enough attention, it induces stress on your mental state. Yeah, your neurotransmitters, the precursors of all your neurotransmitters are amino acids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you think, oh, people, I think, and many people who haven't experimented with keto and have had the experience of actually transitioning off of sugar. And I'm personally not keto, but I know many successful, you know, people who have been successful with that as a long-term life choice realize, oh, it wasn't like, necessarily the sugar level like i can actually be happy not having all the sugar but your the, the balance of the amino acids directly contributes to which amino acids get through the blood-brain barrier and then contribute to more or less levels of certain different neurotransmitters And thus, yeah. your mood is greatly affected so when you don't go with eating protein or amino acids for several hours you can have mood imbalances
0: Absolutely. I can't tell you how many people I see, not just with brain fog and fatigue, which people that are struggling with that definitely listen up to this conversation and optimizing these, but also people with anxiety and depression. Like When we are intentional and optimize essential amino acids, it is fundamental for brain health and neurotransmitter health. My my friend, I could get so granular and geeky with you. I love this conversation. As you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. This is your art of being well. This is Angela's Art of Being Well. I'm going to just pick your brain on just a few things about wellness, even more, to learn about you. First question is what's the for yourself personally, what is the worst tasting healthy food that you <laughs> still still eat? It's still you still eat it, but it tastes horrible. But cause but, but it's so good for you. You want to keep it going for it. Man, the worst
1: tasting healthy food, but I still eat it. I literally can't think of anything, Will. I don't know if it's like I've just become so adapted to like all these things my whole life or something. I'm like,
0: (laughs) I've just like made myself get used to everything. I love it. No, that says a lot, actually. I feel the same way about it. I'm like, it's I'm so galvanized with just like the, whatever. You grow to like things, even if it's not the most palatable. It's like you just kind of a neutral relationship with it. Yeah. I mean, maybe organ meats. Maybe organ meats is
1: the thing where it's like- I hear you on that one. I'm yeah. not like a, I'm like, I'm not, I don't seek them out. I don't yeah, seek them sure. out like, mm, I love, I like, I love my liver and onions. You know I mean? I get it. <laughs> like liver and onions, are good. Like, you know, kind of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could make it as, you know, the taste good if you do it, if you know what you're doing for sure. What's other than essential amino acids, what are the two, maybe what are two other- supplements have been the biggest needle movers for you personally? I think that fish oil comes up immediately and it's tough. On this one,
1: I believe that I feel it. And I believe that I've experienced reductions in inflammation in my body from it. And I believe that I have experienced improved brain function, et cetera. Like none of that's been measured though. You know, it's like, it's my own anecdotal experience of it. And when you look at the meta-analysis of the consumption of EPA and DHA, and the levels of that in people's blood and the reduction of all cause mortality by think it's like 15 or 20%. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'll take my amino acids and I'll take my fish oil because like that is my, those are the supplements to support a whole food diet that are assets for the rest of my life and for my longevity. Now, if I go have sushi, I don't take my fish oil that day because I'm like, I mean, Got I just it. had a bunch of fish, but right. I don't. You know, I, otherwise I take it every day. And I think similarly, if I, you know, if I was in a situation, well, actually we just went on a backpacking trip. Our whole company went on a backpacking trip for four days in the woods primitive. So we like had very limited, slept under tarps. And, you know, I wasn't, I, wasn't a, I, I took tons of beef jerky and was just trying to like eat my beef jerky throughout like these little different sessions. So I wasn't necessarily thinking like I need amino acids at this time. And I was trying to be more at nature, but anytime I'm like in the world and trying to just navigate, yeah, I think I go to amino acids and I go to fish oil. Those are really the two that I think stand far above others. I think getting in micronutrients is really
0: important, but I eat a lot of different colored vegetables. To ensure that, love that I'm getting there, and yeah, perfect. I love it. What's you mentioned that we talked about the ashram and your religious studies in in, the, in college. What is a spiritual practice or mindfulness practice that has been the biggest game changer for you personally? Gosh, I think.
1: I mean, sitting meditation has definitely been sitting meditation or silent prayer has been probably the biggest for the longest period of my life. But mm. in the last three years, I've developed a practice of walking in the morning. Mm. I walk for a, I walk for about an hour and fifteen minutes every single morning. I wake up at five and gonna kind of do my journaling and drink water and take aminos and try to get on a walk. And I walk around this lake. And that walking, I actually think that the right and left hemispherical integration of the brain combined with the quiet creates so much. I don't know if that's spiritual, but it creates so much integration for my life that it's pretty noticeable if it didn't happen.
0: Yeah, well, I, love, I think it very much is. It's the, the anchor to the present moment for you, which is where all real spiritual things happen, I think. My friend, I could talk to you so so much about all the all these things, wellness, all the wellness stuff. Where can people go to learn about the essential amino acid that I have every day, Keon? Where can they go to learn more about it? Get Keon. Getkeon.com is our website.
1: I believe though that there's a special page that they can there go is. to just for your
0: audience. And is that yes.
1: getkeon dot com slash the art
0: of actually learning? no it's no? It's get we have so okay. get dot com slash Will Cole. So get G E T K I O N dot com slash Will Cole. So that's it I, folks. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. Are you on social? Like are Keon's on social? Where can they go on Keon's, social media? Yeah, so
1: we're on social, just search Keon K I O N. As I like to say, I've really, you know, I've poured I, I poured everything I got into this and it's it's my passion and my whole team is behind this, so rather than trying to direct you guys anywhere else, I just say, you know, check out that link for getkeon.com slash Will Cole. You can also call our team. If you have any questions and you want to know more about amino acids there, we've a remarkably educated team and yeah, just ha- happy to help anyone
0: on their journey. However we can. Awesome. Well, thank you, my friend. Come back anytime. Thanks, Will.